بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وبه نستعين ثم الصلاة والسلام على سيدنا ونبينا أبي القاسم المصطفى محمد وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين Dear sisters and brothers, السلام عليكم Do you know how amazing it feels to be able to talk to you? I really, 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 really appreciate this opportunity, alhamdulillah, that I've been given. Many thanks again to the organizers, Shababu Septain. Many thanks to all, all of you who have come to give me this, this massive privilege to be able to speak to every single one of you, apart from the ones who are bored already and are going to sleep. But that was just a joke, no attack. But um, I really want you to know how much I appreciate the time you've spent to, to come here. And um, I also want to ask all of you, if it's okay, I've got a small request before we start. Today we have someone with us um, who's honored us and joined, and um, who's also um, battling with an illness, going through treatment. So I was thinking maybe you could all join me in showing our care and love for this individual and praying that may, inshallah, she manages to go through her treatment and inshallah reach healing as soon as possible and have the strength to uh, go through it. And if we can all show our love and support with the salavat. Allah. Now, I know the salavat as well, if it's okay, for every single person here who's going through a difficulty, Maybe other people know, maybe no one knows. But just to show each other that we're not just a community of people sitting together. We're a community of people who care about each other. So for every single person who's here and has a difficulty in heart that maybe others don't know, let's recite a salawat to show we care. Okay, let's begin. So... Yesterday, I started the discussion about the meaning crisis we're facing. As we said, there is a mental health crisis, the sense of being, you know, disconnected from reality. Many of us, we feel like our life doesn't have a purpose, doesn't have meaning. We feel like we've lost this touch with reality. We feel like God doesn't have a real presence in our heart. And we, this is this what we said we're going to be talking about in this series. And surely it's going to be an ongoing discussion. So the whole 10 nights, it's going to be talking about the same things and trying to go deeper and deeper and deeper. And unfortunately, we also said that despite the energy we try to put in being religious, it seems like it's not helping us. And that was shown by the realities of our life and also some of the statistics showing that the rates of attempted suicide is twice higher in Muslim communities than even communities of no faith. So we were trying to figure out why is it that we're stuck? Why is it that even religion is not helping us? And one of the reasons I tried to give, which I think it's one of the most important reasons, was that we're stuck at the surface of religion and we need to find our way to its depth. In fact, in volume two, page 289 of Tafsir of Al-Mizan, when he wants to give a diagnosis of the reason behind the fall and decline of Muslim societies, 
He says the reason is that we are so much occupied with the surface that we have neglected the depth. So even a scholar at the caliber of Allama Tabo Tabai, when he wants to give a diagnosis, he says that it is our um, fixation on the surface that has happened at the expense of neglecting the depth that has led to where we are right now. And I wanted to also argue yesterday, I started an argument that in fact one of the biggest missions of the Ahlul Bayt was to remind us that religion is going to be useful if you go to its depth. This is an argument that I started yesterday and inshallah in the next 10 days as we keep going deeper and deeper in these discussions, as we try to find our way to the depth of religion, we're not, by the way, only going to be talking about the problems. No. Inshallah, we'll even try to offer a solution and find it together through the guidelines of the Ahlul Bayt. But we said that even the Ahlul Bayt, this was one of their main missions, to help us find a way to the depth of religion. And by the way, today I'm going to be speaking a lot about how we're stuck at the surface, only the form, the appearance of religion, and how we need to find our way to the depth. But please, in no way think that I am saying we need to let go of the surface or let go of the forms. Because a lot of the times, as soon as you start this discussion, someone may think, oh, so you're saying we need to let go of the form? No. The form has to be there, but the form is our way to get the depth. Okay, so tonight, you may think this a few times as we're having this discussion. Oh, so you're saying, no, I'm not. I'm not saying let's let go of the form, the surface, the appearance. We need that. All I'm saying is let's keep our priorities straight. And the number one priority is the depth. The surface is also important. The form of religion is important, but it has to be accompanied by the more important part, which is the depth. What happens when we miss this point? We get our priorities wrong, right? Things which are meant to be first primary priorities turn out to be secondary ones, and things which are important but secondary level of significance turn out to be the most important ones. And I have so many examples of this to share with you. One of the examples which I've shared in many of my lectures is the story of many parents who tell me the way they try to get their children to pray is by being abusive towards them. I even mentioned, unfortunately, a story of a father who thought that he has to hit his child in order to get the child to pray, right? And here, this is what we're dealing with two levels of priority which have been upside down. No one is saying for that child to pray is not important. But which one is more important, for the father to hit the child or for the child to pray? Well, I am going to argue that if you look at the teachings of the Ahlul Bayt, you would see that as a doctor of the soul. Ahlul Bayt, imagine you are injured and you call the ambulance or you go to the urgent, what is it, treatment and care center. And you're there with two injuries. Which one would the doctor attend to first? The most significant injury. And I want to tell you, in that situation, if we tell one of the Ahlul Bayt that we've got a family in which the child, who's like, by the way, was like 10, 12, 13 years old, is not praying, and a father was hitting the child to pray, the first spiritual injury that Ahlul Bayt would attend to is what happened to the father that he ended up hitting his family. That is the more important injury there, 
right? And if you look at the teachings of Ahlul Bayt, you see this is very clear. So we have a kind of upside down priorities. Now you may be saying, I'm not hitting my children. By the way, I'm not attacking that father. He needs support as well. God knows what he's gone through to get to this place. So we're, there's no blame. I don't want to blame anyone tonight or the rest of the nights, right? Everyone is trying their best, and we have to make sure that our best does better than what it's doing right now. So you may be saying, I'm not hitting my child, right? And that's so true. But I'm saying it's not, that's not all I'm saying. A lot of the times we get angry at our children because we feel like they've neglected one part of religion. Or maybe they're not doing, they're not reading enough Quran as we want them to. And I get these messages a lot, by the way. My children are not reading the Quran. I'm not saying reading the Quran is not important. But I'm saying if that's what you face as a parent, or I am facing as a parent, and I end up being angry towards my child, or stopping my love towards my child, I am committing something which in the eyes of Ahl al-Bayt and the Prophet is worse than what my child is doing. See, I'm not saying your child shouldn't read the Quran, but I'm saying if you're angry towards your child, or if you stop your love for that child, no matter whatever he or she is doing, this is worse in the eyes of Ahl al-Bayt than whatever your child is doing. Inshallah, we'll get to a place where we fix both. I am going to pray prove this to you by the way I'm not going to say this you know out of my own mind and you like expect you to believe this is what Ahl Bayt said let's look at one of the most famous spiritual guidance by Imam Sadiq alayhi salam known as hadith Unwan al-Basri right Imam Sadiq is speaking to an individual and he's giving some real spiritual instructions and in fact he's trying to even show to the person what is at the core of Ubudiyah now, Imam has a very few, like, like a very small room to, to give instruction. So he's choosing the most important things. And out of the instruction Imam Sadiq is giving to this individual, can you believe it? Two of them are this. One of them. If someone comes to you and says, if you just say one rude thing to me, I'm going to tell you 10 rude things. I'm going to reply back with 10 rude things. If someone says that to you, you tell them, if you say 10 rude things to me, you're not even going to get one rude thing from me. Imagine, Imam Sadiq had a very limited space to give some of the most important religious instructions. And he says this, if someone came to you and said, if you just tell one wrong thing to me, I'm going to fight back at you, shout back at you with 10. You tell them, if you give me 10, I'm not even going to give you one. Right? And now... Compare that to what's happening with our children. If, for example, our children make one mistake, don't we get angry at them or even our partners? What was the other one? Imam Sadiq says another one of these instructions. Imam Sadiq is saying in this hadith al-Unwan al-Basri that if someone comes into you and says the worst things, you're like this, your, your family's like this, tell them if what you're saying about me is true, if I'm as terrible as you're saying, may God forgive me. And if I'm not like that, may God forgive you. See, what, what is Imam Sadiq's priority? Is he saying that one of the most important instructions is to read? I'm not saying reading the Quran is not important again, don't get me wrong. But I'm saying what are his priorities, right? And, and, and what he says are priorities which have to do with the depth of who we are, the depth of how we treat each other, right? So this is what I'm saying that we've got our priorities wrong. And when I speak about these things, then someone may come up and say, oh my God, 
Sheikh is saying, so all of religion is being nice? Well, who? first of all, it's not me. It's Imam Sadiq. And when did I say all of it? I said it's the priority. And secondly, do you think this is easy? Which one is easier in your opinion? To recite the Quran or to actually follow it in the way Imam Sadiq is saying that even if your partner says something rude to you, nothing dirty comes out of your mouth. If your children shout at you, disrespect you, nothing dirty comes out of you. Which one's harder? I think our life is a testimony that what Imam Sadiq is saying we should do is much harder. So don't think that I'm trying to make religion easier. In fact, I'm, it, what I'm suggesting could be much harder. But the result of it is much nicer. The result of it is families in which children enjoy the company of parents. The result of it are parents who enjoy their children. Even if they make mistakes, they don't deprive them of, their, of love. Families in which children grow with less traumas. Families in which partners' love is so strong that even their mistakes cannot break it. And this is what Imam Sadiq, this is what the Ahlul Bayt wanted from us. So in these 10 series, we're trying to discuss what kind of life is possible when you bring God into your life, as opposed to what is inevitable when God is absent from our life and God is just a word on our tongues. Okay, I'm going to mention another proof, this one from Imam Ali. So last one was from Imam Sadiq Another one from Imam Ali in which it's so clear this distinction between the surface of religion and its depth. A person, you must have heard this, or well, now you're going to hear it even if you haven't. There's nothing wrong about it, right? It's called the Sermon of Muttaqin, Khutbah Muttaqin, in which a person by the name of Hamam comes to the Imam. Okay, he asked Imam Ali salam, can you describe the pious people to me, people with piety, people with taqwa, in a way that I can, it's, it's as if I'm seeing them. See, Hamam is such a smart person. Even his question, he's asking for depth. He doesn't just say describe them to me. He says describe it to me in a way that I can see them. Imam Ali, what does Imam Ali say? He said, taqallah wahsan. Have piety and do good. Which shows that Imam Ali wouldn't give this depth to everyone because a lot of people didn't care about it. He wanted to check first how serious is Hamam. Hamam says, Imam, fair enough, that's a beautiful answer, but give me the real one. I want that depth. And then Imam starts and on the spot, he gives this beautiful sermon, a description of what does an ideal community of people with taqwa looks like. What are these people who have found the depth of religion? What are they like? And on this spot, Imam just gives this beautiful description that if you just pay attention to it, it will blow your mind away. And you see that it has nothing to do with the surface. It's all about the depth. And I will talk about Imam Ali's description of what is a community of people with real deep taqwa like, but not just yet. We're going to come back to that at the end of tonight's talk. Before that, I thought it's very good to talk about where are we right now. I'm going to mention 10 ways in which we are stuck at the surface 
And I'm not saying this in order to attack us or in order to make us feel bad. No, every place in which we have a shortcoming is also an opportunity for us to improve. It's a way in which our life can become much better. It's a way in which our life can be more sweeter. God can be more present in our life, right? So that's why we've named tonight's lecture 10 Opportunities for Improving Our Community. And I'm going to be discussing 10 ways in which we're stuck at the surface, how it's costing us, and in the next eight nights, will slowly, slowly give us the solution given by the Ahlul Bayt, and how we can go to the depth, and you will see, we will get to a place where your understanding of yourself, religion, God, and this world will change. Okay, please recite the salawat. The first one, the first shortcoming we have, and we, this is what we discussed mainly yesterday, was that we have reduced knowledge to propositional knowledge. What does that mean? We discussed it yesterday. We have limited religion only to sentences, words. So instead of, for example, feeling that God is great in our heart, we say, Allahu Akbar. Instead of looking at life, in a way that we see beauty everywhere, and it just takes us naturally to a place of praise for God, which would say all praise is due to God, we have a sentence, alhamdulillah, right? It's prepositional, it's just a sentence. And this is what we discussed yesterday. And I wanna mention a short story to really bring this home, inshallah. This story is a short story called The Story of the City of Love. Now, the city of love were a city in which everyone had felt God's love so much in such real way that they had learned how to look at each other through the eyes of God. As the hadith says, look at people, look at my ibad, God says, in the way that I look at them with so much love. This city had managed to achieve that. They had so much unconditional love amongst them that their life was so beautiful. Partners showed so much love to each other, even if one of them made mistake, no matter what mistake it was, as soon as he or she wanted to change and improve, the other one would just show support. People would get second chances, third chances. Children would see the love between their parents and the love their parents had for them, no matter how many mistakes they made, and they grew in an environment of love and with so many little traumas. Whenever someone went through an illness or a pain that was so difficult to go through on their own, the whole community would be there for them. If you don't have legs to walk, the whole community would be your legs. If you didn't have support, if you felt pain, everyone was there for you. And as a result of this, their life was so beautiful. Even when they were going through difficulty, they never felt alone. Love was in the air. And so one day they gathered in the main hall of the city and they said, you know what we need to do? What we have achieved is so beautiful, we need to write this down. We need to write the secret to this beautiful life that we have so that future generations can benefit from it. So they brought a piece of paper and on it they write, the secret to a joyful life is love. And they wrote some of the descriptions of what, what they were doing. But unfortunately what happened was that this generation slowly, slowly they passed away. 
The children became adults and then became old, and slowly, slowly, all of the people who had experienced this reality passed away. Newer generations were coming. Newer generations who had only heard stories of their grandmas experiencing this, and then even they passed away. And we got to a place where we had a generation whom none of them had experienced love. So we reached a place in the city of love where no one knew what love was. Everyone had forgotten it. Whoever had experienced love had passed away. And everyone was miserable. They didn't know what's the point of life. They were going through so much difficulties and sometimes their pain and responsibilities were so much on their shoulders that they felt like they're so lonely in this world. They didn't see the world as a beautiful place. And by chance, one day, they came across this document written tens of years ago by their ancestors in which it said, the secret to a joyful life is love. And, and then their ancestor described how happy they are, how supported they feel, and everything seemed great. And so they were like, you know what? The secret to a joyful life is love. But the problem was they didn't know what love was. So all they had was the word love. They hadn't felt it. So what they ended up doing was they thought, okay, maybe if we talk about it more. Maybe if we teach our children. So they started teaching this in their, in their school to their children. Love is the secret to a happy life. And everyone was meant to memorize that. And then on, on, on the weekends, they would all gather and speak about love, something they didn't know what it is. So how would they speak about it? They would just look at the descriptions that the ancestors had left. So for example, they would say, we are so in love that we want to keep talking to each other. And so they would try to talk to each other, but they would get bored because they didn't have love. Or for example, they said, you know what we do when we're in love? We hug each other. So they tried to hug someone they don't love a stranger and it felt weird. And slowly, slowly they were like, well, what were they on about? This love is not doing that much. I'm trying to talk to this stranger, it's boring. I'm hogging this stranger, it doesn't feel anything. Why? Because they had lost the reality of love. Love had turned into a word. And so slowly, slowly, people were having questions. So they were, and people were like, maybe love is not the secret. Maybe love is not the answer. So they had to keep them, keep their children, keep the next generation following it by force. No, don't question this. Love is the secret, even if you don't feel it, even if it doesn't change anything about your life. But what is love? Well, love is the secret. So the only way they kept it was through making it a force. You had to follow it or you were doomed. And now why am I talking about that? Because in so many ways, unfortunately, this is something that happened to us. With the remembrance of God, the hearts find peace. And we keep saying that, and saying that, and saying that. But where is that peace? We know God's presence in our life can solve any problem. But it's not doing it for us. As we discussed in the month of Ramadan, we said, Lady Zainab says, وَمَا رَأَيْتُ إِلَّا جَمِيلًا And I'm not seeing anything but beauty. But we don't know how to create that, so we keep saying it. Okay, let's gather every year and say that she said that. In the same way that they would keep gathering and say love is the solution, but they hadn't felt love. So the first problem we have is that religion, God's beauty, 
God's presence has been limited to a prepositional sentence. God is greater. Alhamdulillah. But all of these are sentences. But as I said, again, I'm not blaming us. All of these are opportunities for us to go deeper. This means that the answer is there. We are almost hitting at it. We almost got it. It's just that we need to go deeper. So that was the first feature in which we can improve. That all the knowledge has been limited to propositional knowledge. The second problem we have is that our religion has become so passive. What do I mean by that? We are expected through no one's fault. I'm not attacking anyone. This is just the way things have happened. But we're expected to be passive in receiving religion. You're meant to blindly follow even in places in which we know you're not meant to follow. So for example, with Usuluddin, with Aqa'id, everyone says you have to figure out your answers. But if a person wants to start inquiring, asking questions, they're like, eh, don't ask questions. It's considered a sign of lack of loyalty to religion. We tell people, no, with Usuluddin, you have to go figure out your own answers. But if they go and try to figure out an answer and they reach a different conclusion, we're like, no, you have to go do your own research, but get to the same conclusion that I got. How is that freedom? A religion in which, in its Qur'an, in so many places, God says, think. Why are you not thinking? Why are you not reflecting? Think, think, think. Tadabur, tadabur, tadabur. Ta'aqilun. Why are you not thinking? Why are you not using your intellect? Listen to all the different arguments. Choose the best. We have all of this. But then the way we are doing it, we've lost that. It's very passive. So that was the second one. We think we have all the answers. A religion in which you are meant to explore and find the truth. A religion in which you are asked every day in your prayer, ask God, show me the right path. Help, take me, show me the right answers. Which means that you don't, all, you don't have all the right answers. A religion that is trying to turn you into a seeker of truth. Unfortunately, a lot of us, we think that, no, we already own all of the truth. The third way in which we can improve, and right now we're stuck at the surface, and by the way, for the thousandth time, I'm saying I'm not attacking us. These are all ways in which we can grow. With your help, in a matter of 10 years, one generation, we can reach a place through this religion that our life would be so beautiful if we just listen to the Ahlul Bayt, if we just go to these depth. So the third one is that we have a distorted understanding of loyalty. Instead of expecting our children, our community, to keep their loyalty to God, the truth, and the teachings of Ahlul Bayt, we want them to be loyal to our understanding of religion. And many times, because of doing this, we actually disobey the Ahlul Bayt. And I'm going to give you an example as well. How many hadiths have you heard from the Prophet and the Ahlul Bayt, for example? Al-Hikmatul Dhalatul Mu'min. Wisdom is the lost object of a believer. Go and seek knowledge even if it's China, which was the farthest point at that time. It means anywhere. 
Imam Ali has a hadith which is mind-blowing. Imam Ali says, with regard to ma'rifatun nafs even, self-knowledge, which is one of the most spiritual and important knowledge, Imam says, go and learn it from non-Muslims if they have anything useful to teach you. This is the Ahlul Bayt we have. This is the religion we have that they're telling you, go and learn wherever you can. Wisdom, wherever you find it, take it. Don't look at who's saying it. Look at what's being said. We have such a religion, such an Ahl al-Bayt, who are telling us, go and learn whatever helps your life, whatever makes you a better servant of God, wherever it is. But now we have a sense of loyalty, distorted loyalty, that says no. Loyalty to Ahl al-Bayt means only learn, for example, from them. If there's another book, for example, that's teaching you something, no, 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 no. Only if it's a hadith. Well, the hadith itself is telling you if someone else is teaching you something that's helping you, go and take it. What kind of loyalty is this that you end up disobeying the imam in order to be loyal to them? The imam is telling you, go and learn from anyone. But you're like, no, I want to be loyal to you, so I'm not going to listen to you. So we have this distorted understanding of reality. We're limiting ourselves. We're depriving ourselves of so much knowledge which there is. Which the Ahl told us, go and learn. The fourth way in which we can improve is that our understanding of religion and the way we teach it to our children and the way we pass it on to the next generation is based on the appearances. So for example, when we want to teach Salah, what do we teach our children? What do we teach each other? We say, oh, this is how your body moves. You're there, this is the thing your tongue says, then you bend, then you go down. All the things which are the appearance, the form. Again, I'm not saying the form is not important. The form is super important. But the form was there to what? To get you to a depth. Salat is there to do something to you. All of those actions are for a depth inside. But all we're teaching is the outward appearance of Salat, of Wuzu, of Quran. Even the places in which there is a very obvious thing to take us to the inner dimensions of Salah, like intention. Intention, what it basically means is that the Salah is not about what your body does. It's about how you feel inside, right? Intention is a very inner dimension of Salat. But even with regards to that, we've turned it into a surface. So instead of telling our children that it means that in your heart, try to be present. Do it as you're conscious. Don't do it like just at a habit. Instead of teaching intention like this, what do we say? You have to say, I am doing this. Again, intention is turned into a surface as well. So you can say, I am doing this two rakat, for example, ghurbatan illallah while your heart is not even there. See, even intention, which has to do with the heart, we've turned it into a surface level thing. And instead of using salat, which is something to look through and find God, we're just looking at it. We're stuck at salat. Shahid Mutahari has this beautiful story. He says, I was in Hajj, and one of the great ulama saw me. And he says, how are you? And he says, okay, tell me what do you do when you pray? Shahid Mutahari tells him that great alim, that when I pray, I try to focus on my recitation, focus on the words. Make sure I'm mentioning the words correctly, I'm paying attention to the meaning. And that scholar asked him, okay, but when do you pray? 
Salah is you talking to the God. If all you're doing is checking the words, when are you talking to God? When are you communicating with God? When is that taking place? Again, I'm not saying we need to let go of the form. When did I ever say that? Saying the form is there, it's super important. It's Prophet's best gift to us. But it's there to take us somewhere. How many of you, when you look at your own prayer or the prayer of people around you, you feel communication between the person and God is being taken place? So that was number four. Number five is that we have a one-size-fits-all prescription for our worship. What do I mean by that? Look at most centers, most places. Again, wallah, I'm not attacking anyone. Huh? I kiss every single one of your hands. I love you so much. All the organizers, wallah, 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 I'm not attacking. I'm just trying to talk about how can we enjoy it more. But in every single center, what do we do? The taqibat looks exactly the same, almost identical. After the prayer, everyone says the same thing. The Laylatul Qadr, the nights of Qadr, everyone does the same thing. Regardless of your level of spirituality, regardless of your level of self-development, regardless of your challenges, regardless of the pain you have that you want to share with God, everyone does the same thing. Whereas when you look at the Ahadith of Ahlul Bayt, the Ahlul Bayt make it very clear. With wajibat, everyone does the same thing. That's where we all do the same thing. But when it comes to mustahabat, like taqibat of namaz, like even many parts of salat, by the way, if you strip salat away from its mustahabat, a very limited thing would be remain. A lot of salat is even mustahabat. Imam says with regard to mustahabat, how you do Laylatul Qadr, how you do, for example, all of these nights, follow your heart. Every person has to do something that suits them. What do you need to tell God? Find something that does that for you. But we have this kind of one-size-fits-all prescription. One thing for everyone. The Imam says what? Imam says keep changing it. Keep changing the way you do it. The taqibat, every day some, say something different. Qunud, keep changing it. Laylatul Qad, keep changing it. Why? Because if you don't, it turns into a habit. What happens in a habit? Your mind is not there. You're on autopilot. You don't have attention. You don't have presence of heart. So that was number five. We have a one-size-fits-all prescription. Number six. Worship has been limited to a few actions. Religion has been limited to a few actions. Religion, which was God's way of helping us have better lives, Allah, believe me, this is my promise to you. In the next eight nights, I'll show you what religion can do. And it's not me, it's Ahlul Bayt, okay? It's God, Quran, Islam, it's not me. I will show you what religion can do. But that religion, which can change our life, right now has been limited to a few actions. So many aspects of our life is out of it. Masalan, how you re your relationship with your partner, your relationship with your children, the career you choose, your work. Sometimes they tell me, give an Islamic lecture, but then I start talking about relationship between partners. They say, no, no, we want something Islamic. I'm like, what is more Islamic than to creating good families? 
But no, no, no. Islam is only if you say Qala Sadiq. I've given so many lectures. I've explained Imam Sadiq's hadith. I've spent an hour trying to elaborate on one hadith. I just didn't say the Qala Sadiq in the beginning. And at the end, they were like, no, that wasn't an Islamic lecture. So religion has been limited to a few actions. And even in those actions, we only expect it in a certain way. Even with sins is the same. Masalan, we've forgotten about all the problems of the heart, all the traumas, resentment, pain, trauma, jealousy, anger, things which can eat your heart from the inside, none of that are considered important. Or at least they're not at the first priority. It's all about, for example, adultery, it's this, it's that, it's that. So we've, we don't have a holistic understanding of religion. Please recite the salawat. And if you speak about akhlaq, many people cannot see the link between that and Islam. If you speak about how to heal your traumas, how to be able to forgive someone, people say that's not Islamic. Well, how could it not be Islamic when our Prophet said, How could forgiveness, how could healing not be Islamic when the Prophet says this is literally what I've come to achieve? And Allah, inshallah, I'll see what Imam Ali says at the end. Number seven, and this is one of the ones that really breaks my heart. See, God is such an important aspect of life. Not the word God, the reality. Imam Sajjad says, Ya amal Ya muna God is the ultimate desire. God is, the, God is unconditional love. God is the ultimate thing we want. God is what we're seeking in everything in life that we're looking for. God is the ultimate peace. And so it's natural for us to have so much energy to be able to get there. So much first inside us to get to God. But unfortunately, because we don't have a way to go to the depth and find God, because we're stuck at the surface, all that energy that is enough to get us to the depth is keeps hitting the wall of surface and it leads to weird fixations and all sorts of obsessions with the surface. Let me give you an example, which breaks my heart. I hear this is happening a lot. And it's been from the time of the Imams. Prayer, vuzu, was there for us to communicate with God. But because we've lost the way to look through prayer and find God, all that energy of communicating with God, we're spending it on vuzu and our prayer, on just the recitation of it, on just the appearance of prayer. And so you have people who get all sorts of religious waswas. They have so much energy, they want to give to it, it, it and it turns into an obsession. So you see a person who tries half an hour to get a, a vuzu right. A person who is so fixated on najasa tahara that it takes them two, three hours to make themselves pure. Or so obsessed on the recitation, they keep repeating it, keep repeating it. Take some of the people in our community one, two hours to pray. And it breaks the heart. If you look at the ahadith, with any of this, I could give you tens of ahadith in which the Ahlul Bayt talk about this, and, and they're like saying, what's happening, Baba? This is just a way to get to God. Masalan with Najasa Taharat. And by the way, I've been through all of this, so I'm not judging anyone. There was a time when I joined Hosea that it would take me three hours to do one qusl. I know how it feels. I've been inside there. 
right? But look at, for example, how Imam Ali tried to tell people or one of the Ahlul Bayt that it's not about these things. These things are important. I'm not saying let go of it. These things, the form, the appearance are important, but this is just a gateway. This is just a door. You go through the door to go inside and talk to the guest, talk to the host. One of the imams says he wants to put someone's heart at rest that don't be so much focused about najas tahara that it annoys you, it makes you hate God. He says that sometimes before I go to the toilet, I throw a little bit of water on my clothes, so if inside, I doubt whether a water on my clothes, for example, is a, naj- is a najasa, or is water, I say it's water. He says, that's how insignificant these things are. Yes, we have to follow them, but it says, don't get fixated on them. So we have so much energy to go to the depth, but because we haven't been given the depth, all the energy is being spent on the surface, leading to all sorts of religious waswas, religious obsession, fixations. And in this way, we are even letting down so many of our creative people. In our art, this also shows us. In the way we recite, for example, poetry, and we write our poetry, in the way we do Islamic calligraphy, in the way we do Islamic art, the artists of the community, which are some of the most beautiful souls, some of the souls who can take us to the depth, because we haven't been able to give them the depth, they're stuck at the surface. So all the art we have is an art that is stuck at the surface, and it breaks my heart. We've just gone to a new house, and I've been spending three months to buy a piece of art, Islamic art, that I look at, and it does something to me. Creates a religious experience in me. And I've been looking desperately for Islamic art. But all you search in calligraphy is just, it, it's just a surface. Masalan, it says, Ayatul Kursi on the paper. Or it says, Allah Nur Samawati Wal Arz. It's just a surface. Maybe I know Allah Nur Samawati Wal Arz, and that's beautiful. I love that. Wallah, I love that. And I actually have that at home. But I want you, as an artist, and you're so amazing, I want you to create a piece that doesn't say that. It makes me feel that. When we recite poetry, when we read, write poetry for the Ahl al-Bayt, we love them so much. Our children are so beautiful. The youth are amazing. They want to show this love. But we haven't empowered them to what to write. So most of it is the same thing. I want to come to Karbala. I want to come to Karbala. Next year I will come to Karbala. Okay, I love that. You want to say that? Beautiful. What else? Is that all you want to say to Imam Hussein? Hope you got to Karbala. What do you want to say there? What's in your heart that you want to share with Imam Hussein? What was Imam Hussein's ideal? Can you show me Imam Hussein's ideal in a poem that I can read and see the world in which Imam Hussein saw it? Maybe Imam Hussein on the day of Ashura, when his daughter calls him, in the heat of the battle, he doesn't say, can't you see that is busy in the middle of the fight? He comes down from the horse and he says, what is it, the light of my eye? I know this, I know this, I've heard this. So if you just tell this to me, I already know that. Maybe create a story that when I read it, I become like him. I already know what he did. And I'm not attacking you, no, you're beautiful. I'm sorry that I let you down. That all this energy you have to show love to Imam Hussein, we didn't teach you how to go to the depth. In 
another way in which this has showed itself is that because we haven't managed to go to the depth of what Imam Hussein was like, the depth of what Imam Ali was like, instead of growing to be to look at the world at the same height as them, we have brought them down. And again, I'm not attacking us, hope we didn't know any better. If you ask many of us what's special about Imam Ali or Imam Hussein, he, he, he stood for justice. That's all. That's all. Maybe that's amazing, oh. but do you know how much more Imam Hussein was? Do you know justice is level one, Imam Hussein is level 100? And we'll talk about it, by the way, I'm not just going to say these false promises. In the next eight nights, I'll show you where Imam Ali is standing, at what height Imam Hussein, at what height he's standing. You'll see justice is alphabet to what Imam Hussein is. So, and then the last one. Oh, sorry, no, we still have, we still have a few more. Please recite the salawat. I'm so sorry. I know we're late. I'll try to really go through them quickly. So number eight, and I'll go through it quickly, is that stalking at the surface can lead to disunity, can lead to division. Babin, what is at the depth? By the way, sorry, I use babin. It means look, see. It's a Persian word. I'm sorry. What is at the depth of religion? God. What is God? There's no division in God. God is one. God is united. As you go towards God, Every, you see that everyone gold becomes the same thing. You see that everyone in whatever they're seeking, they're going through God. Even when you're looking for love, even when you're looking for a job, whatever you're seeking, la ilaha illallah, means that there is nothing to be sought in this world other than God. If we're at the surface, we don't see. Because between us and that ultimate desire that we have, there are levels. But as you go deeper, it becomes clear to you that at the end of the day, we're all looking for the same thing. La ilaha illallah literally means it is impossible in this world to look for anything other than God. There may be a few levels between you and that ultimate desire, but ultimately that's what you're looking for. As you go towards the depth, you become united with others. You see everyone's after the same thing. But as you get stuck in the surface, there are so many differences. It can create division. You see two Shia centers following the same God, the same religion, the same Ahlul Bayt, fighting over the smallest thing, bringing police to settle their disputes. Because when you're at the surface, all you see is division. The more we go to depth, the more unity we'll have. Number nine. Um, sorry, is it okay if I just communicate with the organizers? Should I continue maybe... Five, ten more minutes, or should I we stop and continue the next one? Okay. Well, we'll continue this tomorrow, inshallah, because we don't want to um, take more time, and I don't want to sacrifice the content. So I have two more, inshallah, to give you tomorrow, and also Imam Ali's description of khutbah mutaqin, of what an ideal society of religious people should look like. None of this is from me. All of this is from Ahlul Bayt. They have so much to teach us. We still have so much to benefit from them. You'll see that there is so much beauty here. That, you know, what they've done for us and, and what they still can do for us, it's so extraordinary. And inshallah, we'll try to see that in the next eight nights. And tonight is the night in which Imam Hussein and his family are arriving at Karbala. 
And inshallah, tonight we're going to be benefiting from Masa'ib with the Dhikr of Salawat.